welcome to another episode of the Third Person Podcast. My name is Chris Milhouse, joined as always with Daryl Hammond. How are you, Daryl? Doing good. I've got my um you see my um co-ed killer glasses. You got the good co-ed killer <laughs> glasses ready to rock. And we're joined again, as always, by our producer, Jim Search. How are you, Jim? Hey, what is the deal, gentlemen? How are we living? Oh, guys, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for a couple of things. I'm excited, uh, number one, that Daryl is about to get his second dose of the vaccine. He's about to become that, uh, you know, get that immunity there. How are you feeling about it, Daryl? Um, I'll, t- I, they, so I'm getting it on Saturday and, uh, they say what I'm hearing is I may need to lay low on Sunday. It might not feel so hot as my body begins to make antibodies and prepare a massive defense for the COVID-19 virus. So, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of uh, people I've heard that have about two days worth of, uh, you know, side effects, if, if you want to call them that more of just feeling down, feeling tired, feeling a little sick, but, uh, uh, Jim got the, Jim got the vaccine. I uh, He's gotten both doses. I'm fully vaxxed up. Uh, I got my second shot. Uh, I want to say two weeks ago. Nice. Um, You're, you got that full vaccine. It's all kicked in, man, man. I'm ready to go to these maskless parties and warehouses. (laughs) I'm ready to do it all. I want to see, I'm seeing the world now, man. Let's do this. So jealous of you guys. I just want to, I just want to spit in strangers mouths again, you know, like that's in the simpler times. What what do you want to (laughs) do? I said, I want to spit in strangers mouths again. (laughs) I'm going to lend you my glasses, Edward Kemper jr. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much appreciate that <laughs> I, just, I, I gotta figure out a way to get this vaccinated and vaccine vaccine i mean i mean look you know just uh is there a, they should do a lottery for it right if yeah like, i think performers should get it i mean we should be on a list with restaurant workers you know because you know we're seeing people every day in big crowds and stuff like that and um, and that's the other reason why that I'm excited. Like the, my other big thing this week is we get to go back to work as comedians. They're opening comedy clubs April 2nd. We are well, going back to work. <laughs> I think Jim is actually the sanest and most sober of, of the trio. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to talk to Jim about that. Jim, 33% capacity. Mm-hmm. 33% capacity and... You have to uh, have uh, had tested negative for COVID-19 in the last seven days or had a quick test in the last seven days. Mm. Um, and uh, you also have to learn to pole vault. <laughs> so Totally true. Saying, it's kind of funky getting into the nightclubs right now. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, I, I was talking to one of the bookers of Comedy Club uh, in New York, and uh, she said that – um, the whole testing negative thing is only for bigger uh, venues, I guess. So if it's a small venue that turns over quicker, they don't require it. Like, I guess it's very, like, it's very specific with these rules. Like, because I, w- I said, originally I said, I don't think, I think it's going to be a huge deterrent if some people have to show you a PCR test within 72 hours and, or a rapid test within six hours. People are going to be like, nah, I don't feel like, dude, that's a lot of effort to go through to go to a comedy club, but I guess it's, it's only for bigger venues that's, you know, 
are like you know like a Madison Square Garden type thing. Oh well, what about Comedy Cellar seats one seven five? Yeah, they are doing all thirty three percent capacity, like you said though. They're so it's smaller. A lot of clubs are operating on a smaller margin, if you will. But you know, it's a step. It's a baby step. I'm, it's a step in the right direction, and hopefully, we can you know by May get to fifty percent. I think yeah, that's I mean, reasonable. It's, it's movement. Yeah. Now, is it so with the seating? I'm assuming, like in the clubs, et cetera, like you'll have them like socially distant and like. Yeah, I'm sure. That's got. I'm assuming that's got to be the vibe. Yeah, if it's 33, percent you know, and I'm sure they're, you know, they'll have it every other table type of thing, and mm-hmm. masks unless you're drinking or eating, like, you know, that kind of stuff, and like Purell everywhere, and you know, all the servers I'm sure are still going to be masked up, and you know, but either way, I'm I'm excited just because it feels like we are slowly going in the direction of getting back to work and getting things back open as a society. So I'm pumped. The- yeah, I bet those people in Pennsylvania where we did that outdoor show are going to be a really important factor in returning the country to audience status. Because remember that outdoor show we did that was so clever? Yeah, those people are great. It's called Soul Joel's, if anybody's listening, in uh, and it's an out in Philly area. It's a great venue. It's outside. They have heat lamps. Um, they really do a great job. We had an awesome time there. Um and people came out. It was like 30 degrees and people were out and they came out and sat outside under heat lamps to watch us, you know, tell dick jokes. And it was fucking great. It was, and if people are that motivated to go out and, and do stuff in 30 degree weather, imagine what's going to happen when things reopen. I think that, uh, I think people will be very excited to go back to comedy indoors. I think it's going to take a little time to, you know, for everyone to figure out like, you know, Oh shit, things are open. Maybe uh, get people vaccinated. But, um, I still think that soul Joel's place outside. I still think they're going to do a great job with outdoor shows during the summertime. Well, and everything. That's one of the most slickly produced cleverly. I mean, that was a real show and it was in a field. Yeah. In the middle of a field. We were getting heckled by trains going by. It was like a yeah. railroad train that just went by. Every once, a while, every once in a while, a train would go through. So the audience had to be, you know, I sang a little Johnny Cash Walk the Line or Bolson <laughs> Prison Blues, and it worked really well for the 30 yeah. seconds that I needed to cover. Yeah, it was awesome though, man. I'm uh, so you know I'm excited. We got some good things on the horizon. I will be finally making my triumphant return to New York City in two weeks, so that'll be good. Maybe we can all hang out in person at some point. Did you miss New York? I miss New York to a point. Like I didn't miss the weather, that's for sure, with all this fucking snow and you know nasty frozen tundra type things going on out there but um i miss the hustle and bustle of everyday life i miss you know going to bodega for you know bacon egg and cheese in the morning things like that like you know it's 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 been nice having nice weather here in california but uh i'm also out in the suburbs where my parents live and it is boring as shit i do miss having friends to interact with when the snows came they came Oh yeah, it was a bad it winter this year. Snowed in, and you couldn't mm. see people, and you couldn't go out, and blah blah blah. But uh, you know, Tuesday's coming very soon. They say um, winter's going to basically end. It'll be sixties, sixty soon. Yeah, I was just saying, it's like this Wednesday, it's going to be like 62, man. That's awesome. You can see everybody out like it's the first day of summer, man. People are going to be laying out on the Central Park lawn. 
it's going to be it's going to be the it's going to be the roaring twenties on Wednesday. <laughs> people are just going to get their flappers out and going to hit the streets, man. Right. Yeah, man. I'm excited to come back to that. I hope it's I hope it's nice by the time I get back and uh, hopefully I get the vaccine. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Basically, I'm also yeah. looking forward to this guest that we have today, guys. I mean, we have a pretty fucking killer guest. I mean, a really killer guest uh, for everybody to listen to here today. Um, we have an Emmy award winning actor and just an all around great dude. We have John Cryer on the episode today. Uh, I don't know if you guys were familiar too much with John Cryer beforehand. I mean, Jim, have you seen you've seen John's work before? I'm assuming I have. Indeed, I have. Yeah, and I know Daryl's seen his work as well. I mean, everyone knows him from, you know, everything from uh, Broadway. He did uh, Broadway acting for quite a bit. Um, he was in a, a movie fairly young that made him a big star called Pretty in Pink, uh, John Waters' movie. And then, uh, of course, you all probably know him from Two and a Half Men, starring alongside Charlie Sheen and Ashton Kutcher. So um, that that season, that uh, show had 12 seasons, so... He's been around for a while, and he's currently on. I was impressed with the Broadway thing because I did uh, Broadway for six weeks as a guest star in 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, which was another Tony Award-winning show, and they just plugged me into and uh, eight shows a week on Broadway. And if at intermission you haven't completely convinced the crowd that uh, in Act Two they're gonna um, sneeze, piss. Come, laugh, <laughs> rewrite their history, their own personal history. I mean, they they want to think that's coming. They want to think Broadway's coming, and you got to convince them in the first act. And it was it was odd if you had even this, an off day at all. I think that's going to be my new Tinder bio. What? <laughs> yeah, they want just describe. They want to know they're going to come sneeze. <laughs> this. Uh, Piss, burp, fart, and get a new uh, husband um, in Act Two. Yeah, I mean, I have the utmost respect for people not only in this industry, but people who've done multiple stages, you know, from TV, film, and, you know, stage, like, you know, doing Broadway. So, I mean, John John was just a very, he's a very nice guy, and uh, he was a pleasant interview. And uh, before we get to it real quick, I want to remind everybody, make sure you add us on social media. Do that. Click it right now. You got your phone out. It's probably what you're listening to this on. Let's face it. So, Pull up Instagram, pull up Twitter, at us all on uh, all the social medias. So uh, Daryl is at Daryl C. Hammond on Instagram and Twitter. And I am at Chris Milhouse on Instagram and Twitter. And Jim Search is at Jim Search on Instagram and Twitter. So, uh, you know, make sure to do that. Make sure to tell your friends about this podcast. We love word of mouth. We love when you share the social media posts. And we love when you give us five stars. If you so feel inclined, that would be awesome. Five stars. Helps us beat the algorithms, helps us get a, uh, get our podcast seen, and uh, we appreciate a lot of the good feedback we've been getting from all the interviews. Uh, a lot of good feedback from the Tim Hurley uh, episode that we had. It's our last episode, which was great. Uh, a lot of people really loved hearing that story about the wedding singer and him having Carrie Fisher come in and finish that script, which was fucking incredible. So uh, I appreciate everybody uh, giving us all the nice words. I and think all the Hurley is one of the best ones we've done. Absolutely. And you know, the thing about that one, which made me so happy about is a lot of people didn't know him by name, you know, unless you're really into like Adam Sandler movies or SNL lore, you probably wouldn't know the guy by name, but then when you re you know, realize his whole body of work and what he's done, you know, it was pretty cool. Like, and he's just very entertaining. He's a great writer and just a funny dude. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that was that was a great episode. So I appreciate everyone listening to that, and uh, I appreciate everyone to listening to this episode. So without further ado, let's hit it. Let's get to our uh, let's get to our guest here, Mr. John Cryer. Hey, John. Hola. Hello, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome to the Third Person Podcast, Mr. John Cryer. How are you, John? Woo-hoo! <laughs> John, I am honored to be doing something with you. I think you're fantastic. So. I don't well, say that that often, do I, Chris? I don't compliment people like that. No, I mean, that's a big compliment from Daryl Hammond here, okay? I will take it. Thank you, Daryl Hammond. <laughs> I, I, I well. Huh? I'm a fan as well, a fan of Oh, yours. my goodness. It's a love fest. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm just glad to be, uh, be a sidekick here on the podcast. Yes, with you, I, don't, I don't think much of you, honestly. That's uh, fine. You, know, right. you have things that I think we need to work on. Let's spend, yeah. let's spend most of this podcast figuring out what you need to work on. <laughs> it's a long list, my friend. Just ask my family. Um, but yeah, we're happy to have you on the podcast. Uh, you obviously know Daryl. Uh, I'm a, a comedian who have uh, done stand-up for about 15, 16 years and known Daryl for a few years through stand-up. And uh, we started this podcast this year during the pandemic times and happy to have uh, somebody. Man, So we appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Let's do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm um, wondering, though, you, like, you know, you've, you, you know, Daryl, he's been, he's quite accomplished. You've been, you know, stage, you've been on, you know, screen, you've done it all, man. Like, have you ever, you ever thought about stand up or imp- improv? Have you ever done either one? Uh, you know what? I have not. Um, uh, stand up terrifies me. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, because I, I, I have enormous admiration for, for people who do it like you, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's an enormous amount of real work and skill. Um, and I've managed to skate by on, uh, meager skills as an actor. Uh, oh, so, uh, oh, come on, man. Come on. You know, that's not true. I'm also, by the way, uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm interested and fascinated by improv, but again, that's been an area that I, uh, uh, you know, I love having people write stuff for me to say, not having to think of it. Uh, <laughs> so, so I haven't, I haven't done that, but, uh, but it's interesting because I was just reading a wonderful, uh, Mike Nichols biography, um, uh, just a life, uh, about Mike Nichols, uh, uh, written by Mark Harris. And, and it's fascinating because, you know, he, uh, a lot of what clearly was the started the the real creative insights for him was improv. Um, you know, he he you know he 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 sort of uh, using sort of improv improv to flavor um, his first um, uh, sketches that he did with Elaine May um, was what just catapulted him to just enormous fame and then this incredible career. And uh, and I always thought to myself, gosh, I wish I I wish I had tried improv because I, I I feel like um, it would it, it might help my spontaneity as a as a performer. I can't do improv. Um, Lauren hired me for a specific thing, um, and that is to learn how to do voices quick. Mm-hmm. And so I was never involved in the other reindeer gangs. I was a guy that had was given an office with a pot of coffee and uh, people brought me tapes to look at and I got weekly assignments and sometimes they went okay and sometimes not so great. But I the improv thing, I can I did write a lot of stand up, but I writing for other people 
based on improvisation is a, a foreign language and really of another galaxy for me. Yeah, I, when I watch people who are amazing at it, it's mm. you know your your whole body lights up and you're just like, wow, I am I am so impressed with people who do that well. Um, yeah. I actually I, ro- I roomed with Stephen Colbert um, for a little while when we did a show together in New York and and uh, and he got his start in improv at, at Second City and um, and you know it, it's interesting because it really gave him this baseline um, level of confidence that whatever situation was thrown at him he could handle it in some way you know and i just i envied that so much yeah it's one of the reasons too why lauren will hire a stand-up because he knows we bombed Um, (laughs) (laughs) he knows we've been in in just death-defying situations out there and and we didn't quit and one of the things he loves about that is that's what happens at snl scaffolds fall you get Pancake in your mouth, you get glue in your eye. The script doesn't come in time. It's mm-hmm. being written as you speak. Um, and it's a show where, you know, people who haven't bombed in, in Kentucky and Spavana, Oklahoma, may not have the nerve. Because mm-hmm. we're people that had to be on stage. It starts going bad about the 11th minute. We've got to go to, to for at least an hour. So mm-hmm. we got to stick with it. Yeah. <laughs> just we have just to stick with proudly. <laughs> yeah, we need to stick with it and pretend that they're laughing. You have to stand there, and if they're like, I would do jobs and 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 well, I started out with Billy Gardell, Billy Gardell, you know. Um, sure. And we, I mean, we would do jobs where they wouldn't even fucking pay attention to us. Yeah. <laughs> you do like sports bars, and they'd have a game on. I mean the wor- the worst gigs, all that stuff, and he he's like, you know, if I hire him, I, I don't think he's going to panic if something goes wrong. Believe me, something pretty frequently goes wrong. But now, have you learned any uh, any lessons for you know? Obviously, when you sense you've lost them, um, do you uh, have you learned any lessons for how to turn that around? The main thing that I've learned is you know the instinct is to, I've lost them, let me get loud. Mm -hmm. And let me speed up. Let me show more turbo drive. And and, and actually, to get them, I got this from Christopher Ashley, the Broadway director that that won so many Tonys. He told me this one time, he goes, get them back, you need to slow down and get a little more quiet and be a little bit more honest about what you're talking about. Because it's, you know... You can lose an audience if you're just, you know this. You're a Broadway mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, it's, it is very similar during a performance. You know, it, you know, some actors, some actors just go into, you know, urgency, urgency mode, you know, where you just, uh, uh, you know, you're just trying to power through it as much as possible. And that does not work. You know, it, it, as you said, you just, you know, it, it's about listening at that point uh, and letting it be what it is. Yeah, I mean, I only did on Broadway. I did 24th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, and there were, there was there was this one night that I I um I wasn't getting my laughs. The laughs, you know, that you've gone. These lines will work each night if, the, if yeah. this section doesn't work. You know, thank God this other section is coming up. Mm-hmm. 
And I was looking at my last and I discovered that I, I hadn't been paying attention. I'd just been reciting my words. I was tired as hell, you know. Come, I mean, those matinees are grueling sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Eight shows a week is very hard. Very hard. So here I am, like in my Sunday night show or my Sunday matinee. And I'm, I'm I got nothing. Mm. Not that I'm flat. I mean, I got nothing. I don't remember why I wanted to be a performer. <laughs> I don't remember why people ever laughed at me. What did people find interest in me? How did I get this job? Is SNL not going to take me back because I'm tanking? You know, <laughs> those Sunday shows are hard, man. Have you ever encountered anything like that, John? Like with Broadway? I mean... Oh yes, oh yes. Well, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, the, the 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 two matinees on Broadway were were back in my day. Now it's a little it's a little different now, but but uh, back when I did Broadway, uh, those were when the elderly showed up. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. The, yeah. So you got a combination of people who would just flat out say, "What? What did he say?" Oh my god! Uh, or they'll they'll uh, they'll eat uh, candy very loudly. Um, uh, uh, or, you know, I mean, there, there's all, uh, you know, uh, and, and so, or, or they will, if, you know, like I, I did a play called Turk Song Trilogy, which, you know, this was back in 1983, uh, 84. And, um, and it was, you know, very sort of edgy material because it was a, a, an unabashedly gay play, you know, uh, 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 about the romantic life of, uh, of one uh, particular man. And, uh, and there were times when, you know, uh, older people would just go, ah, heck, and leave and just walk out, you know, and, and you're like, oh, they're going to kiss, they're going to kiss, oh, no, you know, and, um, and so, you know, you, you, uh, and plus, you've already, you know, like, uh, as Daryl was saying, on the Sunday matinee, you've already done, you know, seven, seven. yeah, so you're tired, and you're not in the mood. And uh, and they sometimes can't hear. Uh, and you just, uh, you know, that's actually, those are the shows you're getting paid for. There's the fun ones on Friday night when you're having a great time. And everybody's a little, uh, uh, by the way, my Siri just activated saying, I'm having trouble hearing you. Like, it's, it's like an old person. <laughs> <laughs> that's a perfect thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect timing. Um, but uh, uh, you, you know, you that fr- the Friday night shows are the fun shows, you know, uh, uh, the shows when everybody's there and everybody's having a great time. Everybody's had a couple of drinks and they're loose and fun. You know, it's it, what, what you earn your salary on Sunday, uh, you know, at the Sunday matinee. I always felt that was true with stand up too. I earned my salary going through airports. I earned my salary driving to little shitty towns. I, travel was difficult and tiring. And oh, that's, yeah. that, that's what I always felt that I was going to pay for because the shows, most of the shows were fun, and some of them were great. And I, I will say, of course, I'm not an experienced um, stage actor in the sense that you are. I, I did play True on Long Island, and it, it had been going well, and we got some nice reviews. And Sunday, I was in front of a crowd that was fast asleep. <laughs> fast asleep. <laughs> Snoring softly during Truman's, you know, I wonder if I should live or die. You know? <laughs> oh, no. Jesus. Wondering <laughs> when I'm, I'm going to take my own life. And, you know, it's just, just like that. And, you know, a couple of times they walked in, on the stage, you know, because we were in the three-quarter round. And a, 
they would get up and, and walk on the stage. Oh, gosh. <laughs> That's a little terrifying. <laughs> so their stage right, you know, which is to my left, right? And the bathroom's way over here. So they have to go from way stage right up in the top to walk down and have conversation. And then the long walk across the stage. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you know, like it can take 60 seconds or more. <laughs> Oh my God, so, man. Um, <laughs> that's brutal. I had to, uh, I had, to, I did a play called Brighton Beach Memoirs. And at the beginning of the play, I had to be, I was playing a kid who was, um, who was practicing his uh, baseball pitching. Uh, so I had to pitch the ball into the wings and they had a, they had a, a metal thing that it hit and then it would bounce off into a little sort of um, uh, that, that, that would, you know, dampen the sound. And then, and I would go get it come back and throw another pitch and throw, and I had to throw a succession of three or four pitches. Uh, and, uh, I remember, uh, one night I threw a wild pitch it was bound to happen sooner or later. Uh, um, and it, so it bounced off the corrugated metal thing and went straight back out into the audience full speed. And I saw this guy seeing it coming at him and, you know, chivalry is dead. He ducks. It shoots past him, whacks his wife in the face. Um, okay. So then the problem is I still need the ball as a prop. Uh, so I have to ask for this woman who's nursing a head wound. Hey, can I have my ball back? Oh, my God. Uh, that was yeah, a thrill. Because right. it, it be, some of these mishaps make it impossible not to stop what you're doing. Almost break character if you have to to address them yeah oh absolutely when i since i don't have much experience when i was doing true um the phone was ringing someone's phone was ringing and i had this line that i used as a stand-up so as capote i'm like you know waiting list for a kidney (laughs) waiting list for a kidney worked pretty well but i mean i developed that on the road um Uh (laughs) waiting list for a kidney Mm -hmm. well i mean what do you uh what do you what do you prefer i mean um do you prefer broadway acting or do you prefer tv acting i mean it's kind of a you know they're they're two different things but you've done both for a long time reference of something that you do truly more passionate about um, it, it, no, it, you know, it, it, it's really the project, you know, some projects are incredibly fun to do. Um, some, some projects seem like they're going to be incredibly fun to do. Um, and then they surprise <laughs> you. Um, so it really, it, I, you know, I don't have a preference. Um, the only nice, the nice thing about doing TV or film is that you do it and it's done. You know, it's that performance has been captured. It will always be there. You're either really proud of it or you're maybe you're less proud of it, but, but it's always there. You know, with, a, with a, a play, that's a live thing and it's special and it's wonderful that it's live, but once it's gone, you always kind of miss it. You know, you always kind of go, oh, you know, that was that great, that great show that I did. Yeah, and the people that saw it, it lives on in their memory, but other than that, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, um, but, but really... Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's great things about both of it, you know, performing in front, one of the great things about doing a sitcom, which, you know, when I was doing two and a half men was that, that uh, we, that every Friday night we had an audience. So you still had that connection to an audience and you still got to let stuff play out 
in in the the a way that you understood the timing would really work. Um, but uh, it was on film, and it was uh, uh, you know it was something that would uh, that would always be there. So it was a nice combination of both. Um, but you know, I remember. I mean, I, if 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 you have a little time, I'll tell you about uh, the uh, I did um I did a play in London, and it was. It was a, a an incredibly um, important experience to me because I had studied in London. I I studied at the Royal Academy. I studied Shakespeare there, and and I, you know, and I always sort of looked up to England and and the the British theater tradition as oh, yeah. you know as being this incredibly high level of skill. Absolutely, uh, you know, absolutely. If you go there and you see the shows, and it's just astonishing, astonishing breadth of of stuff that they do and. You know, they 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 re they re-energize plays that you thought were kind of old and fusty, and you know, they make them amazing and magical. And you just, you know, and I had always thought that, you know, I I I honestly never thought I'd be good enough to work there. Um, and a friend of mine wrote this amazing play, and we couldn't get it going in America, but a British producer wanted to do it. Um, so I was. Beside myself, it was very exciting. Uh, uh, we did it in a tiny theater uh, uh, just outside of London, and it ended up being this huge hit and moved to uh, 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 to the old Vic. And you know, the old Vic was where Lawrence Olivier Incredible. started National Theater. You know, it's this amazing, beautiful theater. It's you know rich with you know theater history. It's incredibly uh, you know it's an honor just to be on that stage and. Uh, 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 I, I, I'm basically going to tell you the the thing that this the, the, basically the worst thing that ever happened to me on stage mm-hmm. uh, is what this is. <laughs> uh, if I may, uh, it, just the, the, this is uh, you know um, I, I was doing this play uh, uh, called 900 Oneonta, and it was. Uh, it was like a Tennessee Williams play, Southern Gothic about this really screwed up Southern family. And I played the, the, this, the, this, uh, just spineless, awful son. And it was about, uh, the, the whole family squabbling to get the riches of the patriarch who's, who, uh, uh, a, a character named Dandy and he's dying, you know? And so all of us are scrambling, trying to get into his inheritance. And at the end of the first act, he dies. Uh, and uh, so, you know, first of all, that's weird. It's weird because he's the main character of the play. Uh, so that's okay. a little weird. Uh, um, but the second act is uh, the rest of the family scrambling to try and figure out how to, how to get his money. And at one point, uh, uh, there's a character that we've been talking about for the entire show. Um, I have a brother who is a heroin addict. And his girlfriend is supposedly this amazing woman, you know, who uh, 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 just she's just like lightning in a bottle, this woman. And uh, the character was played by an actress named Sophie Okonedo. Sophie Okonedo has gone on to be nominated for an Academy Award and she's won a Tony uh, for Raisin in the Sun. She's an amazing actress. And she she it was a little odd for her because she would come in in the middle of the second act and totally totally put the play on its ear. Her character changed everything. You know, uh, uh, when she showed up, it was a big, big deal. It was a star-making role. That's you awesome. know, big, big deal. So, also, sounds great, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, uh, 
Well, uh, <laughs> and I had to give her her entrance line. Uh, I, my, I had to turn to my brother, who I hate, and I've been fighting for the, you know, we've been fighting over the money the whole time. And, I, and he has just given up his portion of the inheritance, which means I will never get any of it. So I say, you didn't have to do that, tiger. You didn't have to ruin all your all our lives. And, you know, uh, and then she's supposed to blow in yelling at tiger, tiger, blah, 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 you know, and, and you make a whole big thing. Well, um, the show had been this big hit and uh, uh, was running, uh, you know, in packed houses and was the talk of London for a little while. And um, and uh, Sophie one day. Um, she was, she got around London on a bicycle and she had a minor bicycle accident. Um, but she still showed up for work. Uh, she said, I'm just going to take painkiller and I will do this show. Do not worry about it. So great. Okay. We'll do that. Um, uh, uh, we start the show and just like Daryl and I were talking about earlier, um, we get the sense We've lost the audience, mm. uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so, you know, we're all trying to figure out, OK, what's the thing that's going to click in? What's you know, what's going to work here? Uh, you know, and, and uh, some of us panic a little bit. Some of us don't. I, I'm not going to say I wasn't one of the panicking people. I might have been. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, but at any rate, you know, the show's going along, but they're getting kind of listless. And uh, uh, we get to the second act. And it, uh, it goes pretty normally. Uh, you know, we're rocketing along, everything, you know, everybody's squabbling. And it's, uh, you know, uh, 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 there's my, the, the characters, like my sister's name is Burning Jewel. She's an awful, she's like the town slut, you know. And my mother, who's the town uh, heroin addict. And she, my mother is, is uh, you know, she's lying on the, in the middle of, she's lying on a chaise lounge. She's collapsed and she's unconscious in the middle of a chaise lounge, in the middle of the, the stage. There's a lawyer there and a priest and my father and all these characters. And I'm arguing my, with my brother and I give him the line that is supposed to bring Sophie in uh, and, you know, end the whole second act in this big, huge thing. I say, Tiger, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to ruin all our lives. And there's silence. There's nothing. You, you jerk. <laughs> I added in. Uh, uh, and so then I, I started to think, where's, where's Sophie? What's going on? There's nobody. She, you know, this show can't end unless she shows up and tells us all what's going to happen here. Uh, uh, and plus, she's like a big star in the show. <laughs> you know, um, so I turn back to the guy playing Tiger and I and I and I repeat the line. I say, Tiger, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to ruin all our lives. <laughs> Still more. <laughs> thing. Um, I, I sort of I look back to where she's supposed to make an entrance. But then I realize I have no reason to be looking back there. Uh, and i've just sort of given up the game so i turned back to tiger and my mind is just reeling and then i remembered uh, a monologue that i had had as the character that had been cut way back from when we did the first uh version of the show at that small theater and so i start into that this monologue i was like your own life so shot to hell no matter good fortune falling on you like this here today fell right on your head you know and i'm just like yammering and but I realized that the guy playing my brother, Tiger, 
um, is a, a, a new add to the cast. He came when we did the new version of the play, and he's never heard this thing before. <laughs> so he thinks I'm making this up as uh. I go along. <laughs> And his eyes get all wide, and he's like, "What is happening?" <laughs> and uh, uh, I finish the monologue, and he's and he's like trying to reply, but I can see there's nothing. I guess improv was not uh, his specialty either. Uh, <laughs> and he just goes, "Shut up!" <laughs> that was all he could get out. And uh, and I start stalking the stage. And, uh, uh, you know, just like walking around trying to figure out what the heck to do. And thankfully, the guy playing the lawyer um, says, I got Balfour Sauter on the phone. That's another character. And he, he was supposed to say that line about 20 minutes later. But I go, aha, I've got to go talk to Balfour Sauter. <laughs> so, so I say, well, God grant me a golden tongue. And I try to I start to walk off. And everybody in the family walks off with me. Basically, we oh, all God. just we leave, so we leave this blank stage. Except we forgot that the lady playing my mom, the heroin addict, is still laid out on the lounge in the middle of the of the stage. <laughs> so she's just lying there. Then there's just this long, <laughs> awkward silence of my mother laying flat on the stage. And finally, the guy playing uh, my brother and, and, the, and the guy playing the priest go, uh, let's go take Mama upstairs. And they go back on stage. <laughs> and they pick her up and slowly take her upstairs. Uh, and at this point, the, the, now the stage is completely empty. And you hear the audience start to go. <laughs> you know, because they're assuming it's the end of the show. The show now makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> then the stage manager uh, has the good sense to drop the fire curtain. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to theater in England, but they have these huge steel doors that come down from the wings and go slam onto the stage um, there to prevent fires from going between the, the stage or, and the audience. Um, but uh, so, <laughs> so our stage manager had the good sense to sort of emergency draw down the, 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 the fire curtain and it, it, it came down with this just horrific crash and scared the crap out of everybody. Uh, uh, and he made this, this uh, very, this incredibly calm announcement uh, to, the, uh, to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, we have had to stop the show. Uh, we will resume in a few moments. He clicked off the click, the, 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 the thing, and then he turned around and said, where the fuck is Sophie? <laughs> Which was a <laughs> lovely moment. Um, where was so, he? <laughs> well, uh, so then I hear all the stage managers uh, uh, running up and down the stairs. There's, there's dressing rooms on, on both sides of the wings at, at the old day. And so I can just hear them running up and down the stairs, throwing open doors and slamming them shut. So it's just like, slam, 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 slam. And they're just looking all over the place. Um, and they found Sophie. What had happened was um, she had taken the painkiller before the show and then fallen asleep um, because she didn't have anything to do in the whole first act. So, you know, you get bored and she fell asleep. So they brought her down and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we, they, you know uh, uh, we got the whole cast back on stage. We, uh, you know, lifted up the fire curtain and I started back in. I said, Tiger, you didn't have to do that. You didn't have to ruin all our lives. Silenced. She, she's she's freaking out in the wings. She's crying now. <laughs> so oh, she, no. And I, and I could hear the stage manager going, 
just say tiger. Just say tiger. Trying to trying to tell her what her first line is. Um, finally, she was able, in between sobs, to to say uh, say her first line, and she came out. And then we realized that she was not in costume. She was in her regular uh, day wear, um, <laughs> and, uh, which made no sense in the context of what we were doing. Um, but the crazy thing was that uh, uh, we finished the show to a standing ovation because even though we had lost them earlier, uh, something spontaneous had happened. Uh, and they, yeah, uh, they, they probably saw what you guys were doing and what you're dealing with and, and how yeah. you were trying to scramble. And uh, they were probably like, we, we have to give it to them. They, they still went on with the show. <laughs> that we just were able to finish at all was worthy of applause. That's, yeah, that's, that's it's incredible. Like saying, we got to give them an A for effort. I mean, that was, <laughs> yes. that, was, that was exciting. And Sophie didn't have the right clothes on. It was, it was awesome. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> That's an awesome yeah. story, man. Have you, uh, I mean, have you, do you ever have anything like having that, like that on uh two and a half men or any of the, the sitcoms you've worked on? Um, no, you know, th- I mean, thankfully, well, so two and a half men, I don't know if you noticed, but Charlie Sheen went nuts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I might have heard something here and there. Yeah, you know? Kind of, uh, kind of caused it, uh, it, 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 the first, that was pretty much the first internet shitstorm. Uh, I mean, the first one that I remember that where it was just like the entire world was like, what the fuck is happening? And and that was it, you know? I mean, I, I, I give you a lot of credit for even in you, you, you handled that like a champ. <laughs> you really did. Oh. Like <laughs> you, you're very classy with it and you didn't, uh, you didn't seem to panic. And a lot of, none of, none of the cast really did. I mean, most of you guys are pretty, pretty cool about it. I mean, as far as cool can be, you know, in the public eye. Yeah, in the public eye, we were all pretty cool. Most of us were really frightened for Charlie, just in terms of we thought that there was a, a drug overdose imminent, you know. And so we were all really scared about that possibility. Um, and it was really weird to see how entertained by the whole thing everything wa- everybody was. You know, that was a little daunting because we were like, this guy's having a, a serious drug and mental health episode at this moment. And, you know, yeah, it's crazy, um, but... There's a point at which this stops being entertaining, you know. Um, and then and, you even get a little frustrated. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, a lot of people were losing their jobs because once he got fired, everybody just thought, oh, okay, well, the show's done, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, we ended up running for another four years, but, uh, uh, you know, but it was, you know, everybody had real stake in it, you know. And every, when we were proud of the show, we did, and, you know, we, we were – uh, and and working with Charlie was really mostly good up until that point. You know, uh, uh, he was always a professional guy. Um, even though that last season, he was seriously he he, cl- he clearly was having issues with substance abuse again. Um, but he was still showing up and doing the work, and was still uh, good to the people on the set. You know, and the crazy thing was like that big fight that he had with our producer. None of that ever happened when they were working together none of that was visible that only exploded after um because basically uh, chuck laurie the producer didn't think that that charlie had been in um had had been uh in rehab long enough to get clean uh and he said listen i'm not going to bring the show back until i think you're ready to do it 
And that's when Charlie just lost it and was, you know, he Charlie decided he was ready and there was just no, uh, no it's very back. interesting to, to, to depend on someone. And, and, you know, when I'm doing SNL, I'm thinking, listen, this is my life. Um, I can't suck. I mm. really can't fucking suck. Okay. And one night we were doing something from it's a monologue from it's a wonderful life. And I was playing the, the angel every time a bell rings, someone gets their wings or something. And, and the guy, hmm, this person was so high. Oh, <laughs> we, we shared a, we shared a set of cue cards. We were reading our fresh material as, as it was. It was fresh. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, he very blithely says, you know, that card right there. I'm not going to do that one. Okay. Like, well, okay. (laughs) Can you maybe do it? And I'm like, I guess I could say, and so I'm out there and I'm doing my lines and I go, and you know, you're the kind of person, if you were going to reply, you'd probably say something like, you know, um, what a way Boy. to put it. That's I mean, yes. that's, those are some comic. Those are some comedy <laughs> chops you got there, Daryl. <laughs> Wouldn't you say something like that? And he goes, "Yes, I would." And he goes, "Next to the next card, a crisis averted." Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I, I there are people. There was actually a cast member of that show that I did in England, and we we had a great run, and he was an amazing, wonderful, professional guy to work with. And then towards the end of the run, I walked into his dressing room before the show and I saw him drinking some, you know, pouring some whiskey for himself. And I later realized that he was just an incredibly functional alcoholic, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and never, never missed a cue. You know, I missed cues and wasn't drinking, you know, (laughs) and, uh, uh, you know, he, you know, he, you know, a lot of people, you know, in this profession have, have crutches that help them get through the, the incredible nerves and the, uh, you know, the, the, the incredible fear that you have and they all, everybody finds their way of dealing with it. Um, for me, I actually, I like the fear because it keeps me on my toes and, and it usually gives my performances a little added urgency, um, that seems to help, um, you know, but, uh, but that's just, it's, I'm, it's lucky that that's the kind of characters I get. I, I usually get, get cast in characters that have a little bit of a, an anxious rhythm to them. I, I, you know, I made the mistake twice of being imbibed. Um, I was drinking wild Turkey on stage. Oof, and, and potent stuff there, Daryl. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and, 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 you know, and I'm going along and I'm saying my lines and I'm getting, you know, decent laughs. And until I hear someone from the audience audience shout out, you did that one already. <laughs> you told that joke before, man. And, and, and that experience was so fucking assaulted. It's mm-hmm. like, Jesus, God, please, please, if I survive this, I will never drink on stage again. And I never did, you know. I mean, even in my most, most severe partying 
um, when I was working at SNL, I did not drink on game day. Uh, mm-hmm. I did not want to have someone yell out for 30 Rock. You told that. You told that one already. <laughs> Remember, uh, we had um, uh, we had Brad Garrett, um, you know, uh, Brad Garrett from um, Everybody Loves Raymond on our show, on our podcast. And he talked a similar uh, story about how he did something similar when he back in his days when he drank. And he had the best response ever. He goes, he goes, I know. I'm just seeing if you're awake and paying attention. <laughs> like just, that was the way he wrote it off. But he he would do the same thing. But I mean, yeah, I mean that stuff always. Uh, I always amazed me with seeing people that were able to function by drinking like that, and uh, or just you know couldn't go on stage unless they had a drink or two. Or me, I mean, I would always just drop my timing. It always, you know, sometimes I I did it like twice. And one time I hit the punchline before I ever did the setup and I'm just like mm-hmm. waiting for it. I'm like, why aren't you guys laughing? And like what's, and I was like, Oh shit, I didn't even do the whole fucking setup. You know? <laughs> now, but yeah, I, you know? I'm curious about that because you know, when you're out there by yourself, you're the only one who can fix it, you know? And, but also like if you're playing someplace where you do a lot of shows, um, it must be a little disorienting that, you're looking out at the same thing all the time. You know, I mean, part of the, the hard part of doing eight shows a week is that you're doing it in the same theater, you know, you're doing the same show, you know, and you get your, your, your brain starts to do little weird, uh, uh, you know, uh, weird coping mechanisms, you know, and you, it's disorienting. And that's why I could never understand how people could drink and do it at, at the same time. Does that happen with your standup? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know about Daryl, <laughs> but like uh, for me, if I'm ever off on something or if I ever like screw up in the moment, I uh, I embrace it. I, I'll probably flat out be like, well, I didn't mean to do that. You know, I didn't mean to say that or something. And then most of the audience will, will laugh and have a chuckle over it because for you to embrace the fact you made a mistake is always kind of funny to people. It's, you mm-hmm. know, and, and sometimes I, you know, if if I embraced it and, and I got nothing back from that, like from just saying like, Oh well, I hit the punchline for you know I hit the punchline way too early without the setup, um, and nobody did anything after that. I would just start doing a little crowd work, you know, and just kind mm-hmm. of take that crowd work and weave it back into a bit that I know already works, just mm-hmm. to get them back on board. And then once you've kind of righted the ship, then you start to kind of get back into the act or or you know jokes that you're going into. Um, I mean, that's, every comic is different. I mean, Daryl, what do you? How would you? Well, when I was doing sets at the cellar, I'd be doing fifteen and twenty minute sets and. You know, I knew I had I had had that near tragedy in North Carolina uh, where the person yelled that out. But I thought to myself, you know, this is a 15-minute set. It's okay. <laughs> personally, if I'm drinking and I'm say, I'm reciting lines, okay, I'm not having it. The lines don't mean anything to me. And guess how quickly... It takes for that set to go belly up. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't mean nothing to you, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, Colin Quinn said one time, "It has to be honest. It has to be like you're saying you've never said this before." And not only that, you never said it before, but that that if you don't get your point across, it, it has to seem like one of the most important things that ever happened to you. You know, you've mm-hmm. never said this before. This is so important. I might not survive. That's how. That's how. How much you have to bring to it, and mm-hmm. the more alcohol on stage. Yeah. Now, do you remember your first time on stage, Daryl? Yeah, I mean, I did a set at uh, Bonkers in Orlando, and 
um, there was a veteran comic working in the club that weekend and he came to open mic night. I was terrified, breathless. And he gave me, I think, some really good advice. He goes, you just need to realize you're not going to, maybe not, you might not accomplish anything out there tonight. And that this is all about gearing your nervous system to walking out in front of a crowd of strangers, people you never met before, and making them laugh hard. Okay. But your nervous system's gonna have to have to get have to get wired for that. So he goes, just keep a pulse. Make sure you get out of there alive. Well, I thought to myself, well, okay. So I just I did a couple of impressions and got off stage. It wasn't comedy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I had you know, I had my stage experience, you know, I oh. did I did profoundly horrible material, um, profoundly bad. Um, but I did the impression and I got my little applause break as if it were a magic trick and, <laughs> and, and was grateful to slither out the back door with barely perceptible dignity. Um, yeah. 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 I, I accidentally did stand up once. Uh, but I, I was just about, I was doing a charity fundraising gambling night and they had rented out a, the, the Santa Monica Museum of Flying back in the day, which was just this huge, beautiful place. And they had, the place was packed. And my job was just to introduce Dwight Yoakam. That's not a big that's not a big deal. Just come out, say a few words. Thank you guys for coming. Such a pleasure. Hey, guess who you're going to hear in a minute? Dwight Yoakam. And uh, uh, that's all I thought I had to do. But I get out on stage. I say, hey, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much. You're so glad that you guys are here to help the kids and all that stuff. I, didn't, I don't even remember what kids we were helping at that point. But um, <laughs> and, uh, and I say, and uh, but now you're going to be really excited because here he is. And I, I, I go off, I look off stage, and I'm getting the extend gesture. <laughs> you know, like, people, like <laughs> stretch. It's be a few stretch. minutes to stretch yeah. it, stretch it. And uh, I'm like, oh. Okay. Uh, it looks like, well, you know, and, and, uh, uh, and so I, I, you know, was sort of dumbfounded and started, uh, uh, I, I, I went inadvertently through all the stuff that you guys as stand-ups do. Uh, well, first I started recounting stories from my day. And luckily that day I had done a thing where my, uh, uh, my wife at the time, uh, we had been just working out living together. And you know when you you know when you have your your um, your medicine cabinet all of a sudden has all this bunch of girl stuff in it um, that is all kind of mystifying. Well, I had woken up that morning a little out of it, and I grabbed a tube and put it on my toothbrush and started brushing my teeth, only to realize that what I was brushing my teeth with was vagicil vaginal itching cream. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so and vaginal vagicil numbs your mouth. Uh, so you, you, you can't, I mean, well, it doesn't normally numb your mouth. It, it normally numbs your vagina. Um, <laughs> but at that moment, it was, it was numbing my mouth. Uh, and, uh, so I spent the whole morning with this weird, you know, blah, blah, blah. so, uh, so I got to tell that story. Uh, and that story went over well. And then I started doing crowd work as you suggested, Chris. Uh, uh, and that worked very well, uh, because everybody just loved, uh, you know, uh, and I ended up, 
you know, and they just, and every time I kept looking to the wings, I would get the stretch gesture. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this, you know. Um, You're left there doing an hour. <laughs> yes, I, I did probably almost an hour. I probably did like 55 minutes. Holy shit. Um, and, and yeah, no, but thankfully, you know, after a while, I started making the joke of, okay, Dwight not, Yoakam is just taking forever for some reason. And I started coming up with reasons that he was doing it, you know, like he was getting his hat reblocked. He was doing, you know, it's like all the various things that Dwight Yoakam must be doing backstage as opposed to coming out here and saving my ass. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, and, and I could, so I could see, I can totally get why, why stand-up would be totally addictive to people mm. because, when it lands, it's the it's fucking incredible. No, you yeah, know? no other feeling like it, man. It's it's almost and, you know like a drug. Yeah, and if you're doing crowd work and you found somebody that's fun, uh, that's you know again that's incredible. You know, uh, and I lucked out that night. You know, and that's not as you, I'm sure know that's not always always the case. Um, so you know, I, I I can see why people would do it, but the idea of doing it on purpose and and part of the reason it worked for me that night was people didn't expect that I was going to be doing it. You know, that, that, that actually helps. I mean, if you're not the guy coming out here, stand up comedy from so-and-so, it's a lot easier. <laughs> you know, yeah, absolutely. just legit. Oh, you know? yeah. Because when it's, when they're, when, when it's your name attached to it in advance, the audience has paid money and they're expecting to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. But the, well, the good thing about it is what you did is you embraced it. You embraced the fact that Dwight Yoakam was supposed to be out here. And you're making fun of it, and then, and then you're doing the crowd work. So, like, that's, I mean, you you got the chops, man. I mean, you, you, feel, you give it a shot one of these days. That uh, that badge is so bit. It's good, you know. It's gold. <laughs> that's, it's that's gold, John. Gold. It's gold. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw in an interview that with, you did with somebody. I'm not, I'm not remembering who exactly. When you talked about being misperceived for three things: for Matthew Broderick, for being Jewish, and for being gay. Correct. Mm. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I have that problem too. I I don't know, Chris, maybe you can tell me what. Okay. I have that problem too. You know, when I was living in New Orleans, I would go down to Jackson Square, which is the heart of the French Quarter, and I and down there the male hookers, these guys kept coming up to me <laughs> and making circles with their finger and then um um demonstrating um slide rule dimension. And <laughs> but never women. <laughs> the women process never hit on me. It was all these guys that were coming up, and I, I, I guess I have that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was always mistaken for gay by non-gay people, uh, uh, which you know, people actually in the community knew I wasn't gay for whatever set of reasons. I don't want to speculate. Uh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Uh, because, and I can, and I partially, I know this because they never came on to me. Uh, that's why, you know, cause, I, cause, uh, you know, that, that is the, 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 joke about straight guys is always like, Hey, I'm not gay guys. Right. Cause you guys don't want to, cause you're going to come on to me. Right. Uh, gay guys. And then of course, gay guys are like, I'm not in the least bit interested in you. Right. Why would, why would we come on to you? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, so I, yeah, I was always uh, um, mistaken for uh, for gay. Well, partially, though, I did. You know, my first play was Torch on Trilogy, which you know was a, a, a you know big deal in the gay community, and so you know I, I was around it a lot. 
Um, and, and, and if you've ever, you know, if you're in the theater, you're in many respects, you're not, not necessarily a part of the gay community, but you're certainly around it all the time because obviously it's, you know, that's a big part of it. And, uh, and they're just, uh, you know, they're an incredible group of folks. <laughs> they're really fun and welcoming and, you know, uh, uh, you know, you, you know, it's easy to feel a part of that community because they're lovely, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that, that, uh, Thing. Same with same with being uh, thought of as Jewish. You know, I, I grew up in New York City, and uh, you know, um, uh, in a, a lot of um, Jewish communities in New York. And so, again, that that didn't uh, uh, that uh, being mistaken for being Jewish is not a, a heavy weight to bear. Also, being mistaken for Matthew Broderick also not bad. Uh, <laughs> there's not a there's not a there's not a downside. To any of those three. Actually. Yeah, I get I get the Jewish thing a lot. I get that constantly. That was like one of the first mm-hmm. jokes I ever wrote on stage. Just huh. people always used to always assume, just yeah. always assume it. And then I was like, oh, I'm actually Irish. And they were like, right. wait, what? Like, are you sure? Are you sure you're not Jewish? And you're like, am I sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I mean, not that I wouldn't <laughs> want to be in the club. Not that you know, I, not that I wouldn't want to be a chosen one. But you know, yes, I totally, I totally thought you were Jewish. Did you really? <laughs> Daryl doesn't think no because you have that you have that sort of efficient I've got the anxiety that's what I've got oh, <laughs> that, yes I have that, that too. efficient I don't know thought out everything is you know um, is, is efficient that's all I can say it's like <laughs> and, and you're like that except when you're picking up chips yeah, yeah. yeah so we, t- we talked about my my many blunders of uh, of trying to uh, have use pickup lines and pick up women in parks and whatnot. <laughs> oh no, I, I'm the worst. Uh, I no, I am the worst at it. I have only I've only actually like tried to pick up a woman once in my life um, because I'm terrible at it. I'm I'm fine at like hanging out and getting to know people and then maybe dating them later. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But like, like, if you just left somebody and start a conversation, no, cannot do it. Cannot do it. Um, Not even close. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed, how do they do that? I, no, I, I do. I, I have uh, real respect for people who can do that. Um, you know, uh, God, yeah. God love them, but I'm not, I'm not one of them. Um, I'm the guy they call sir. No, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Hey, um, doing pretty good tonight. Um, may I buy you a drink? Um, but thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm more well, of the guy. Time. I'm more, <laughs> more yeah. of the guy. Who's your friend? Who's your friend? <laughs> <laughs> the Great. one time I ever tried was I was in Miami shooting a, a movie, and I saw this beautiful woman at my hotel who was by herself, and. I didn't do anything, didn't try. And I, I kept seeing her in the hallway. I would see her on the, uh, there was a little cafe two streets down. I'd see her. I was like, this lady's beautiful. She's, geez, Louise. Um, but I never got up the nerve to, to say anything. Then we're both on the same plane going back to Los Angeles. We get off the plane. She's in the, the airport. And I walk up to her and I say, excuse me, I, I couldn't help but, but notice that we, and I, I got that far into the, into the sentence when she said no and walked away. <laughs> oh my God. Well, Chris, I, talk, I, talk, Chris, talk about that time you asked that chick, what'd you say? Uh, is this your lucky day? Are, are you aware that this is your lucky day? 
I, I said something goofy, uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic over the summer, man, I was, uh, I was, a little, you know, I was like, I, I don't, I've been locked up, you know, and uh, I went, you know, I, I go walk, walk in, in New York a lot. And uh, I would walk to this park and I saw this, uh, this woman who I've seen a couple of times in the park and she had a dog with her. And I like basically just <laughs> some silly like pickup line. I was like, uh, I said something like, um, she said, how is your day going? And I said, I, or I, I asked her, I go, how was your day going? She goes, she said, good. You know, I can't complain. I said, well, you shouldn't, you just, you know, today's your lucky day. You just hit the jackpot. You met me and silly, cheesy, obviously cringy, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just it to be like a goofy, like offsetting kind of like, you know, I'd smile during it and, and mm. she was just like, okay. <laughs> I, I maintain that's a line actually used by the co-ed killer. Okay. <laughs> it's always fun when Daryl likens me to a serial killer. Thank you. Oh, that's right. the co- that was the co-ed killer's uh, pickup line. Yeah. It I, I, day. It's a classic. I used to have a stand-up joke where I talked about picking up women and using pickup lines. And uh, I had a woman once just tell me, no, thank you. And I was like, Mm. I wouldn't. I, I'm like, I wasn't even like halfway through the line. She's like, no, thank you. I was like, well, at least you were polite. Like, it's, yeah, there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's my daughter. I when I when I used to like try to, you know, reprimand her or something or say, you know, you shouldn't do that. She, you know, she would. Uh, she was always polite about turning down my. <laughs> you know, she's like, no, no, thank you, Dad. I'm, I'm fine. Like, Wait a minute. I, you don't. No, just polite. You don't you got a timeout. No, thank you, Dad. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> when I first got to uh, SNL, um, I guess it was about our first week, this um, elderly, dapper, ex-NYPD, you know, African-American, two tourists and like a judge came in to say, now that you, now you're on TV... You can get a whole lot of free pussy. That's, that's the good news. The bad news is there's no such thing in the world as free pussy. Right? <laughs> oh, my God. And we're like, wait, what does that mean? He's like, well, when a 25-year-old woman is willing to have sex with a 55-year-old man 30 seconds after they met, Mother Nature will not endorse your plan. Do you understand? They're crazy. He's like, they're crazy. <laughs> I was like, oh, so there's going to, and, and sure enough, you know, I ended up getting stalked by some really dangerous people because I played Bill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, hell yeah. But you're, but you're lampooning Bill Clinton. You should, I they should be on your side. But it was explained to me that they, there are people out there who can't tell the difference. Uh-huh. They literally cannot tell the difference. They arrested this, this one chick in Brooklyn and her whole apartment had pictures of me and Bill Clinton. She couldn't tell the difference. Wow. All she knew was she wanted to kill the guy. Uh-huh. Well, that's a compliment to you, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no women are trying to kill me, okay? Uh. Exactly. See? Yeah. I, I'm not afraid. Of, not good enough. I'm not afraid of my voicemail either, Chris. No angry people on there. No dangerous and no angry. Well, uh, John, when you when you were, I mean, obviously you had a lot of success when you were younger and doing Pretty in Pink, like, you know, skyrocketed you. What was it like then, back in those days? I mean, I, I think I read something about how your mom used to get so many phone calls from 
girls and you know they'd always be leaving voicemails for for you <laughs> on her voicemail you know yeah. like i mean that must have been pretty wild yeah it was wild the, the uh uh my mom was listed in the new york city phone book back when they still had phone books you could just look at there there there's my mom's number um uh you know and yeah you know we would we would get uh calls uh once a a a girl tracked you know again my mom's in the phone book just tracked uh tracked her down and came to the house and dropped off some stuff and you know um being in the 80s being a teen uh actor uh had a specific set of baggage you know um and uh most of the baggage was fun um uh uh you know you could get in places and you know and and being the flavor of the month for a little while was really really fun um uh but i didn't i never really did drugs um and honestly the crazy thing was uh, in doing films all through the 80s nobody offered me drugs uh, uh for a while I, I wrote a memoir years ago and for a while the title of it was going to be no coke for ducky uh because because uh, <laughs> nobody ever could be just because i wasn't into that people just sort of assumed that, that, you know, that nobody ever, you know, I, I would hear stories about, I, I did a, um, my first movie was with Bob Altman. And uh, according to other members of the cast, you know, cocaine was just flowing right and left there and there just drugs and all manner of, of, of wildness. And I didn't see any of it. Uh, it huh. never, never, uh, never touched my, my life, but, um, it's not like you wanted to actually do it, but it would have been nice to be offered. You know, you like it would have been nice to be extended courtesy. You know? Exactly. I feel the same way about people thinking I'm gay. It would have been nice to be asked. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, but at any rate, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, I got lucky in that I, I avoided a lot of the pitfalls that people, that other people hit. You know, Robert Downey Jr. had a really hard time then. And uh, Anthony Michael Hall had a really hard time. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys who you know, uh, who were wonderful performers, got a lot of opportunities and, you know, had a hard time dealing with it. And, um, and I, I, uh, uh, because I was kind of from the theater and my parents were from the theater and I sort of got that it was a profession first, uh, that I, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't fall into that trap. I also, for some reason, had perspective about it even then i knew that it would be gone in a few years you know i in 1986 i made pretty in pink it was wildly successful 1987 i were uh, uh i released two dud movies and suddenly my feature career was over by 1989 you know mm. uh and and even then i knew you know uh, uh I, even then i said you know this is this is not gonna last <laughs> and uh and uh, thankfully, you know, over the years, I got other opportunities to do other movies, and and uh, obviously, Two and a Half Men came up, and you know, it's been it's been a great ride. But uh, but even then, I knew that this would be uh, uh, that that uh, this is this is going to be fleeting. Mm. Yeah, someone told me um, you have to try to remember this has an expiration date. Mm-hmm. Oh. When I was on SNL and doing every talk show in the world and making really big money doing corporate events, and there were always there's always another limousine. Mm-hmm. Um, the phone didn't stop ringing, and I remember someone that worked that said, "Getting off of SNL is harder than getting on SNL." 
mm. what you're going to go through when the time comes and the phone does stop ringing and you don't go in limos anymore and you've been typecast and people don't know what to do. They liked you as this product. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to have to have another product and that's going to take some time. And I, I never thought about getting off the damn show, but boy, was it difficult. Yeah. Just, just sure. living in Vero beats, beats, uh, silhouetted by cobweb, you know, rocking in the rocking chair. You know, <laughs> and and the, looking at, you know, going over and checking back then we had answering machines. I'm looking at in. Nope. Zero. <laughs> but Nobody now, called. How long did you do SNL for? Well, I did 14 years under, under primary contract. I'm since that time, I've, I've never not worked there. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, but mostly since that time, it's just a little bit each year. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm the announcer there, so I, I, I announced the show every week. Last year, I did a couple of cameos, and that could happen this year. Mm-hmm. But I've always been sort of attached to them since 1995, you know? Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty it's killer run, run, man. Pretty killer run. Yeah, runs are, runs are great. And you never, it never, it's it just enjoy them enjoy them because they they're so flipping rare so flipping rare yeah i mean absolutely yeah. you would you would know <laughs> you what 12 yeah. seasons that was, yeah. you had 12 seasons on that show i mean um one question i was going to ask you is that how hard was it to transition from charlie to ashton was that a weird transition or was it pretty cool because ashton's pretty laid back or it was uh, uh uh it was harder for the writers than for the actors um, the, the, uh, yeah. Ashton is lovely and, uh, and he's an incredible pro and, uh, he, he comes to the rehearsal with a, you know, with a real joy that's, that's infectious. And it was interesting because we had all really liked working with Charlie, you know, we, you know, uh, um, as I said, he was mostly really professional, you know, um, and, and genuinely a good guy to the, the yeah. rest of the, um, uh, you know, but there was always this creeping fear because towards the end there, you know, obviously his drug issues were getting more pronounced, but also crazy stuff would happen to him. You know, I don't know if you remember, like uh, uh, one morning I got into work and they said, oh, Charlie's not here. Somebody uh, drove his car off a cliff. Uh, <laughs> you know? and, um, we've forgotten that. We, we've forgotten that. By the way, that happened twice. Okay, where where we got the note? Oh, Charlie's gonna be a little late. Somebody drove his car off a cliff. God, um, another one. Uh, another one of Charlie's cars is in Mulholland Canyon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and so there was always this creeping fear. You know, there was there was the the, the this fear that something was going to upend the show that week. There was fear that he was going to hurt himself and not you know and and not be able to continue. So there was always a little edge of fear. And once Ashton got there, that was gone. And it was really a, a really fun place to work again, which yeah. was was great. Um, and he was game for anything. I mean, I've, I've told this story before, but um, at one point, we, there was written in a, uh, a joke in the first episode that he was doing where he walks through where, you know, he, he's just moved into my Malibu Beach house uh, because I, I need somebody to help me pay uh, the mortgage. And, uh, and I saved his life. And, um, but I, I wake up the next morning to realize he's that kind of guy who walks around the house naked in the morning. Um, 
And so we had to figure out how is he going to walk around the house naked in front of the studio audience and still have, you know, we still want to have shock value, but it's not shock value if he's got that little uh, penis pouch that, uh, uh, yeah. that you wear. So we're talking through the, the production meeting and trying to figure out how are we going to make this joke land of him walking through nude in a way that's not going to be totally distracting. And, and he said, well, you know, I mean, I do have um, uh, a prosthetic penis in, the, in my trailer. <laughs> and we were all like, oh, do you? <laughs> and, uh, Something you carry, like, you know, toothpaste, yeah, toothbrush, nice thing fake to dick. Yeah, all right. What had happened was for, when he was doing Punked, they had done a bit where somebody had to be walking around nude. A guy had to be walking around nude, but they couldn't actually have him nude because that would be illegal. So they had to make a covering that included a prosthetic penis. Uh, uh, and he just happened to keep it. <laughs> so that was a prop. He just happened to think that I'm going to have to keep it. I'm going to, I'm going to need that one again. Um, so God love him. He wore that uh, in front of the audience. And of course the audience lost their minds. Um, and, you know, but he was just an incredibly game guy like that. You know, he was always willing to, to, you know, to find some way to, to make it work. And so it was really uh, fun, but it, what, it, what was hard was for the writers to figure out how his dynamic as an actor would fit in with the show, you know, um, because they had taken, because the show was a very laid back show with Charlie. You know, if you watch it, the pacing is kind of slower and, um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, that was just what Charlie's character brought to it. But Ashton's character was this billionaire who was, you know, this emotionally, uh, um, stunted billionaire and they had to figure out how he worked best, you know, how, what, what, how his dynamic was different than Charlie's. And that took a while that took, it took a while to sort of kick in. Um, when we realized that, uh, interestingly, at first we tried to make him be in crisis and that mostly worked. Um, uh, but then they realized that he was where he really shone was when he was Mary Richards, when he was the, the same guy in the middle of all the craziness. Um, and so all of a sudden Alan's character became a lot crazier. Um, and because the, and the way they justified it was Alan now has all of the, you know, he's got this friend who's a billionaire. So he can do all the things that he always wanted to do with a, a billionaire, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, so he goes a little crazy. And and that allowed Ashton's character to be kind of the same center of the of the, of the the show. Um, but it took a while to land on that. Yeah, I remember when that whole switch happened, um, a lot of people were trying to do a guess, a guessing game of how are they going to write Ashton in to the story with, uh, you know, a whole cast that already exists. And then everyone knows, you know, with the story, I, my guess was, and it obviously was wrong, but my guess was that, <laughs> you know, um, the mom, the woman who played your mom, um, in, on two and a half men, she was always, uh, kind of like advertised in the show as promiscuous. And I've always thought, oh, well, you know, she's going to have a long lost kid that comes back mm-hmm. and basically like, here's that, you know, his brother maybe had left his money to him or something like that. That's what I was waiting for. And then I was like, Oh wait, I was way wrong. Like, you know, guy just <laughs> trying to kill himself in the water basically was how they transitioned it. But, uh, but nevertheless, it was, it was entertaining. And I hope, I hope you're going to tell us that you guys were able to prank Ashton, like at some point, <laughs> give him some sort of punked thing. Cause he was such a prankster with punked for years. He punked celebrities. Uh-huh. I was waiting well, for it. Hopefully that you guys got him at one point. 
you know, he actually, the first week of the show said, listen, guys, I know I did punk for a long time, but I don't prank people I'm working with. That's just, that's a rule I have. So don't walk around scared. You know, that's not going to happen. And of course I was like that. Of course, that's what he'd say if he was going to prank the people. He <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Course, that's what he'd say. So I, so it was very funny, actually, uh, uh, a year into the show, he um, he mentioned that he was one of the he was he had already booked a, a ticket on Virgin Galactic on that on that first space flight that Richard Branson was running, you know, where you could pay a huge amount of money and go into space. And uh, and that he was that in order to do that, he needed to do a zero gravity training flight. And I said, wow, that sounds amazing. And he said, well, you want to join me? I was like, sure. <laughs> um, so at, so uh, they, they give this long list of stuff that you can't do the night before because you're going to be in zero gravity the next day. Like you, you have to eat very specific things and, you know, uh, um, and uh, uh, you have to wear specific things if you get there because they're putting you in a, in a flight suit and doing all this stuff. And I show up and I'm taking it super seriously. I'm on time. And he rolls into this thing. Like he was just having a, he was up super, you know, till 3 a.m. with his friends partying and having a great time and not caring about any of this stuff. And he rolls into this thing and we start the flight and I realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is the punking, <laughs> you know, like maybe we're going to go down at one point and I'm going to be freaking out and thinking I'm going to die or something, you know, and then they're going to reveal, oh, no, it's no problem. Um, and he had equipped himself with a um, uh, an HD camera that he mounted, uh, um, you know, uh, like right in the middle of his chest to get the whole experience. And I'm like, okay, I'm totally going to get pumped at one point. That's, this is, you know, he's got, he's got cameras on this whole thing. Okay. This is going to be terribly embarrassing. And we start the flight and they start doing the first zero gravity sessions, which is where they, they basically climb really steeply and then drop. And you become weightless for 30 seconds at a, at a pop. And, um, uh, but I realized that as we're doing this the first couple of times that I'm really scared that, some, that something's going to go terribly wrong because I'm being punked. And I look over and I realize that uh, Ashton is getting airsick, like really bad. Because uh, <laughs> um, he should not have been partying till 3 a.m. the night before. And... Uh, and uh, he's starting, he's turning white and he's looking like really queasy and trying to hold on to things. And uh, uh, next thing I know, he's got the little bag and he's barfing into the bag. <laughs> and uh, and, I, and, and uh, I thought, you know, OK, if this is part of the punking, it's kind of wonderful. Uh, you know, I will absolutely take this. And what was great was that the, 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 uh, the, the video footage is mostly just of this big paper bag in front and it's slowly filling up with barf. Uh, <laughs> so. Man, well, that sounds um, less than ideal for anybody, really. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a great time. Uh, it was not, uh, neither of us were being pumped. Um, yeah. I'd do fine in space. He, however, would be a mess. That sounds actually kind of fun and also kind of gross. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> glad that it happened to him, I guess, rather than you. Um, yeah. Hopefully you videotaped sure. it and you release the videotape at some point. Um, but um, before we go, I want to ask uh, one last question. Cause I know you have to go and I think Daryl has to go as well. But like um, we, uh, we talked about this a couple of times on our podcast in the past about um, people who do a lot of sitcoms and comedic actors, 
playing darker roles. And now you're playing Lex Luthor, which is, you know, not so much a dark role as it is, you know, you're playing a villain. And like, how I like, how cool is that for you? Like, is it, is, is it challenging for you? Like, I mean, cause I've, I've noticed a lot more of the people who normally do comedic roles tend to crush type of like darker or villainous roles because, you know, they're, it's something a lot of ordinary, out of the ordinary than what they normally do. So it's kind of a nice change of pace. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great change of pace because you're just letting out all this shit that's been building up for decades. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, uh, and with like Lex Luthor, you know, I, 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 I really love the character. It's, it's, it, you know, it's been something I loved since I was a kid. Um, It's very cool, man. Genuine comic book nerd and, and proudly so. And, uh, you know, uh, um, so this opportunity was, you know, I, the only thing that stopped me was I said, you know, the, the audiences are going to have a real hard time digesting this because Alan is just, you know, he's this spineless, powerless creature, you know. And I thought, you know, they'll, they're going to have a really hard time with this casting. And I was right. Uh, right after it was announced it trended on twitter for a while because it was just basically everybody saying this is the worst idea (laughs) but the nice thing about that interestingly was because i knew the character so well from the comics i knew i could do it um i knew i was like you know what this is the reaction and the great thing about this is they're going to see it and they're all going to shut up and that is exactly what happened. Was that's that, awesome, uh, man? That I got to go to Comic Con, and the, the response was just incredible. And they were, you know, they, they you know, they, they were the the fans have just been incredible to me. Um, so I, I I I will miss playing that character. I'm, I'm doing four more episodes for Supergirl, which is their their series finale. And uh, uh, I've done a few of the other CW, uh, you know, superhero shows, and they're all incredibly fun. Uh, um, so, you know, I, I, I would certainly revisit the character if they asked me, but, um, uh, but it's, you know, doing that superhero stuff is just, it's a ball that, you know, it's, it's longer hours and you have to hang in the air occasionally, um, you know, and you, and you have to do stunts and I'm not, you know, I'm not 28 anymore. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, doing stunts is a little scary sometimes, but, um, uh, but most of the time it's, it's, it's really, really, really fun. Mm. That's awesome, That's man. Awesome. That's good to hear. I mean, you definitely do a great job with the character. I've seen a couple of episodes, so, you know, oh, thank you. Crushing thank it. You. Yeah. Uh, Daryl, did you want to wrap up with anything uh, before we let John go? I just wanted to say that I was um, really thrilled and honored. I think you're so great and you're so accomplished and you've had such a great and storied career. And even though you said there was that rough patch, but, um, I mean, you're like the real deal, man. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. That's so kind of you to say. And, I, and I, I, I'm a fan as well. And Chris, I got to see some of your stuff. We have that would to be great, man. <laughs> um, but uh, I would uh, love to have you in the audience anytime. It's 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 such a pleasure for you guys to ask. And and uh, you know, uh, I haven't thought about a lot of this stuff in a while, so it's been really fun to to talk about it. Yeah, well, we appreciate you coming on, man. And uh, is there anything you want to plug before uh, before we go? I know you you're doing a podcast. Is that correct? Uh, no, I, I, I well, I, you know, I used to host a, a podcast about wrongful convictions. It's the, the okay. podcast is still going. Okay. Um, have different hosts now, um, but that was a, that's a show called Undisclosed. And if you ever get a chance, it's just an incredibly gripping uh, true crime show uh, where they they investigate cases of wrongful convictions. And the amazing thing is, this it's three lawyers, five or six of the people of the cases they've investigated 
have now been released, uh, huh. which is just astonishing. I mean, it, you know, when you realize that the odds against those those kind of releases, I mean, it, they're just completely changing the conversation about wrongful convictions in America. That's and, awesome, so, man. That's really cool to hear. It was amazing to be a part of. But uh, anything else you want to, I mean, you have a book. I know that, right? Oh, yeah. No, my book. Uh, yeah, that came Let's plug you. it all. Let's plug uh, it all. It's called, it's called So That Happened. Um, and, uh, and and as I said, I'll be on uh, Supergirl this season. There'll be, uh, you know, a lot of uh, evil Lex Luthor. Yeah, you got to <laughs> check it out. The series finale. So definitely tune in for that. Uh, but John Carr, thank you so much for being our third person today, man. We really appreciate thank you being on our podcast. Thank you so much, John. Thanks for your thank time, you man. guys. Thank you so much. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, you, you too. too. Have we'll a great have night. To- Take care. Cross paths again soon. Take care, John. See you, man. buddy. And that was John Cryer, uh, guys. Oh, my God. That was a uh, really wonderful guest to have today. Don't you think, Daryl? What a great... Two great podcasts in a row, dude. Yeah, absolutely. And a great episode. And he just was a great... uh, You could tell he's a great person and a great actor. Very accomplished. And we're very honored to have had him. So, uh, guys, uh, one more time. I'm going to just remind you. Just remember to uh, share our posts on social media. Add us on social media. Uh, He's at Daryl C. Hammond. I am at Chris Milhouse. Two L's. And our producer is at Jim Search. And uh, make sure to follow John Cryer as well. He's on Twitter. uh, Very active Twitter. And I believe Instagram as well. So, Make sure to check him out on Supergirl, too. And uh, we will see you guys soon for our next podcast coming up soon. Thank you very much, guys. See you soon. Thanks, everyone. See you soon.